0: again, being sick, it's like, bam, oh my God, you know, what if, what if I'm going to die right now? And this was my life, you know, and I lived so many years uncomfortable in my own skin with crippling anxiety. And, you know, when you talked about like feeling like you just needed more confidence to do things, I felt like that too, but it was more like, I just needed to actually be me. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, I don't know why I couldn't just embrace who I was because when you do, like, now that I'm like, I feel like more true to who I am, I just feel okay in my skin. I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to shrink away from
1: life. Hi, everyone. This is Katie Archibald Anders. Welcome to Learning Courage. Where we learn together how to live bigger, more courageously, and hopefully, ultimately, more joyfully. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this very special episode. My guest today. Annie Murphy, shares her journey of being diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 37 and how it turned her entire world upside down. In this conversation, we talk about finding meaning within the pain, being okay with not being okay, and how facing her own mortality has allowed Annie to truly live. As you'll soon hear, Annie is just incredible. And she has experienced so many challenges and so much struggle and has come out the other side with such a deep sense of gratitude and joy and authenticity. And I can't wait for you to learn from her and be inspired by her as well. So, without further ado, let's get into our conversation. Here's Annie.
0: So, i I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 37 years old. But um, I'll give a little backstory as to how I was diagnosed. Um, I. So generally you don't get a mammogram uh, as a woman until you're 40 years old, as most of us probably know who are women. Um, And I was never one to do self breast exams or, I mean, that was like not on my mind at all. And I didn't have like a strong family history of breast cancer and, um, but in March of 2017, I was changing my clothes and I felt a lump in my right breast and it was like sizable, like not where I was like, Oh, that just feels a little off. It felt quite large. So I pointed out to my husband, who was also like, that is not something that I've recognized before. So I called my doctor and, um, I'm really grateful. Number one, that I have a really good OBGYN. Um, she had delivered my daughter, Francis, and, uh, she got me in that week. And when she felt it, she immediately sent me that same day for a mammogram. And I've heard a lot of other younger women who've been diagnosed get dismissed. Um, you know, they're like, Oh, you have, um, you know, fibrous, tissue in your breasts, or you're too young for this to be anything serious or, you know, women who are nursing, you have mastitis, you know, they get dismissed a lot, but she did not. And so that same day I went to get a mammogram. I'd never had one before. Um, I was alone because again, I wasn't really thinking anything of it. And um, I was told I'd get a mammogram and then I'd wait for hours and then get an ultrasound if needed. And I got the mammogram. And then like 10 minutes later, somebody came in to bring me for an ultrasound. So that seems super weird. And when I went in, this doctor came in and she was very abrupt. Um, she was Eastern European and I think it was kind of just her delivery, but she literally said to me, you are very sick. Like she diagnosed me from my mammogram. She said, you have a large tumor she was 99% sure it was cancer and from my mammogram she told me it had spread to my lymph nodes so i'm just like sobbing on the table oh my god <laughs> waiting for her to do the ultrasound and then she starts and the nurse starts crying cuz it
1: was just i mean completely and you're by yourself i mean i'm by myself Mike's not she with did you. not ask
0: if i had anybody there oh. with me i mean so she does the ultrasound I'm crying, nurse is crying. She's softening as she's like delivering my death sentence. And she um, she then asked me if I was there alone and I said yes. And so she said, okay, you know, we're gonna have to do a biopsy. Thank God where I am in Rochester, New York, we have this facility that does everything in one place in the same day because a lot of people have to wait for these things. So I text my husband, and he's at work. And I said, call me when you have a chance or call me right away. And he's like, I'm in a meeting. And I said, you need to call me right now. So he got out of his meeting, called me. I couldn't even talk. And um, so then he leaves his work a complete mess and gets over to me before my biopsy. And they did the biopsy then. They're like, we'll have the results tomorrow, but, um, you know, we're, we're quite sure you have breast cancer. And so they took a biopsy of my breast and of my lymph nodes. And it really hurts. Um, You know, I was very bruised for a while after that. So my daughter's at daycare, you know, she's two years old at the time. Francis was two. And so I don't even remember exactly what all happened, but I think, I think my friends picked up Francis. I couldn't drive home. So Mike drove me home and my sister and her husband came to the place where I was getting all these diagnostic workups and drove my car home. And then I think we just got really drunk. And then the next day I got the call and, uh, that was like the beginning of the nightmare.
1: So when you got the call the next day that it was definitely cancer, I mean, were you, were you by that point, had you already thought, well, I have it, you know, were you surprised or were you, had you already kind of.
0: No, I, I wasn't. I mean, so, so that, I mean, even Mike calling my sister to tell her, it was all so out of left field. Cause again, I had just found the lump. I hadn't even told anybody in my family because it was, it was so fast. Fast, Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't overly concerned. So Mike let my sister know, of course, she was devastated. This is my older sister. Well, both my sisters are older, um, Kim, who lives near me. And then I asked her to tell my parents and my other siblings, because I just couldn't do it. And I just was like, I can't even imagine as a parent getting that news about your child. So um, Kim took that all on. And um, so Yeah. The next day, I mean, it was not a surprise. It was like, it just felt like this horrible nightmare. And, um, but it was that same doctor who had been kind of harsh with me, who called with the news and she recommended some doctors, an oncologist. She recommended a surgeon. She recommended going to New York city for treatment. She was like, she, she kind of scared me more because she almost made me feel like I couldn't, maybe get the best treatment that I needed for what was going on with me in Rochester. Um, But they were still figuring out like the specifics of my cancer. So that's, I know that you've experienced cancer with people in your life as well. And one thing about breast cancer that I didn't recognize is that breast cancer is so many different things. So I found out, I think later that week that I had HER2 positive breast cancer. Um, There's like three indicators with breast cancer, estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 new, I think it's called. And so I was negative negative estrogen and progesterone and positive HER2. And um, 20 years ago, that was a death sentence. But now there's really good treatment for this particular type of breast cancer that's very aggressive. Um, that targets it. And they've seen really great success with. So, but that, this was all things that I was finding out in these first couple of weeks. And that's when I started to find out that um, my treatment would have to begin with chemotherapy, which seemed so bizarre to me, because my thought is get it out of my body, you know, but I, you know, I met with an oncologist who my OBGYN recommended. I ended up staying in Rochester for my care Um, at a facility that I grew to love, Um, and it so happened that my um, oncologist, my breast surgeon, and my radiation oncologist, because I was going to need the trifecta, um, Mm -hmm. was all in the same facility. Um, So that was sort of uh, where we were, but those first few weeks were the worst because it was the waiting, like getting all the appointments scheduled, and I just wanted to get started. Like, I wanted to start getting it out of my body. Um, So, like, trying to get through work without crying and, you know, trying to be a mom, trying to be a wife, trying to, like, not feel like everything was falling apart around me. Like, I was, I completely lost control of my life. And at that time in my life, I wasn't feeling super in control anyway. So, um, you know, it was just a flurry of doctor's appointments. Um, up until I started chemotherapy, which was the end of April. Um, so it was about a month after I was diagnosed was my first chemotherapy treatment. Mm -hmm. And, um, my regimen had six rounds of chemo, um, that were spread apart by three weeks. And, um, that was, that was by far the worst time for me. I was so sick. Um, like, I mean, after my first treatment, I had nosebleeds that would last for hours and I ended up in, in the ED, um, with my treatments, my hands and feet burned, my skin burned off my hands. Um, you know, I, I, you lose your hair. So I lost my hair. Um, and that I did not care about surprisingly, cause a lot of women, that's like a big, um, you know, but I just changes in taste um, difficulty eating, um, a lot of abdominal distress. Um, but mostly just I was sad and scared and like, you know, as a mom, it's just the worst. So, that was like the number one thing for me is, I mean, I can even remember saying to my husband, I was like, I said, I was fine. I would say, if you, I want you to move on if I don't get through this, but, but my daughter, Frances, was two. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, she, she might not know me. And, and that was like, terrifying. Um, so I just had a lot of dark thoughts cause chemo made me so sick. And then I'm like, if this is not working and this is like the end, it's such a miserable way to go. Um, but it was not the end. I mean, <laughs> I, um, I finished chemo and, uh, after that they do a scan to see, if, um, to see what things look like at that point. And honestly, through chemo, I could feel the tumor shrinking. So that was super encouraging. And, um, when I went for the scan, it was that same doctor who was like, you are very sick, you know? And I was like, Oh God, you know, Dr. Death. And, uh, she, um, she couldn't believe it. She was like, I would never think that you were that person who was here, I think it was five, six months prior. So we were like, um, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, I still had to prepare for surgery. Um, I was told that I needed to have a mastectomy of the breast that had cancer. Um, but I opted to have bilateral because it just, for me, it was peace of mind. It was symmetry. It, It just, it didn't make any sense to me, um, to keep one. I don't know. It's different but, um, so, uh, so yeah, then I had to sort of recover from chemo to be well enough to have surgery. And, um, you know, through this whole time though, I like, and I've mentioned this to you before, like I was so supported, so loved. So, um, you know, sort of like thinking about your podcast, Learning Courage. And when you have cancer, you're like instantly a hero and you're instantly inspirational and you're instantly a fighter and, you know, you're all these things. And it like, I, I never felt like so uplifted by my community um, which was amazing. I mean, cause I was, I was useless. I went out on disability. My parents were helping us. My in-laws were helping us. My sister was helping us. People were sending me meals, flowers, cards. My husband was doing everything. Um, he was, I mean, he, he never complained. He, ne- he just did everything. Um, you know, I couldn't even bathe my daughter. I couldn't, I couldn't do a lot of things. And, um, but you know, it's interesting because I think about that support, how there are times in my life that were devastatingly difficult and struggles that I've had, but, you know, cancer is just like this really acceptable um, problem. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's like universally, um, even if, even if somebody does not take care of themselves and gets cancer, even if they smoke and get cancer or, you know, it's just no matter what, people really um, come out of the woodwork for you. Um, but it, it made me think a lot about that, about how I felt being loved and supported and seen in this way where I was just, my mere existence was inspirational. And, you know, I, it made me think a lot about like, what if we felt like that a lot? you know, not just when we're sick. Um, so that, that was, I, I think I had a lot of sort of, oh my goodness, moments and moments of, like I, I've always considered myself a kind person um, and a compassionate person, but uh, I don't think I had a lot of empathy. I pre, I, I would have said that I did but now I don't think I did, you know, and I had no concept of, um, what people go through with chronic illness or chronic pain or, you know, or the fact that I, I didn't need to work. You know, my husband could work and my family could help me. And, you know, we didn't have financial issues. We didn't have childcare issues. We didn't have, we didn't worry about putting food on the table or paying my medical bills. And it just, was super eye opening. I mean, my medical bills from my first year of treatment, and it was spread over two years, was $400,000. So if I didn't have insurance, you know, it's like, I mean, you can't afford to be sick in this country unless mm-hmm. you're at least middle class. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so, but anyways, um, I went on to have surgery. And again, you know, with me, even though all of these things were in their own way awful, I kept getting like the best possible outcomes, um, which is very fortunate. Um, That's another thing that I think about a lot. I don't, I wouldn't say that I have survivor's guilt, but I, I don't like when I see things about um, and, and people are well-meaning, but when they say that somebody lost their fight against cancer or, you know, there are no losers, you know, I mean, and it's not like some of us, um, did anything better, you know, we had more positive thinking or prayer or meditation or ate a healthier diet. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's I like, there are certain things we can control, but, um, it's, you know, I've seen some people, pass away in the past couple of years that I'm just, you know, I don't know if we'll ever understand. I like, I'll never know why I got cancer. I mean, they say for the most part, it's genetics, um, old age and lifestyle or environment. And I have the genetic testing. I don't have any of the mutations. Um, I was too young for it to be my age. So, you know, maybe I, you know, maybe it's where I grew up near farming communities with pesticides. Maybe it's because I drank a lot in my twenties, you know, I, they're like, who knows? Or, you know, it's just bad luck. Um, but I, I don't know. So I, when I talk about that, so much of my life has changed and so much of my life is better for having had cancer. I have to say that with the disclaimer that that's only because I have the privilege of still being alive. You know, um, I, I, I'm like, I get wary of saying, um, that I'm grateful for my cancer. Cause that's like, I'm really lucky to be able to say that, but I am, I mean, which that's for, I guess later, but, (laughs) um, but so I had my bilateral mastectomy and, uh, I, that outcome was great. They didn't find any residual disease. And they took what they um, call the sentinel lymph node, where they found the cancer, and that too tested negative for cancer. So, like it was all gone. And um, and then, you know, something that I never really considered is with this all. Then there's reconstructive surgery. So I had a plastic surgeon who was wonderful and kind. And um, so they place um, these expanders in like under your, cause all they kept is kept is my skin. Um, and so they put these expanders in that I can only describe as like, if you had like, what are those called? Like metal strainers for boobs, you know, very comfortable. You know, if you ever wanted metal strainer, like maybe like <laughs> when Madonna wore those cone things, like maybe it feels like that. So, uh, but not comfortable. And I, you know, you can't sleep on them and that recovery, like I had drains, you know, and that was a hard recovery. I mean, I couldn't drive for a long time. I couldn't lift my daughter for a long time. Um, But I mean, surgery was so much easier than chemo that like, you know, recovering from surgery is just so different than feeling like garbage all the time. So, so I healed from that surgery. And then a couple months later, I had an exchange surgery where they take out the the strainers, <laughs> the expanders. <clears throat> oh, which for the couple months leading up to that, they were literally filling up with air when I go in, like, like, and, um, you know, just make like growing your breasts. So for, for some women, it's like an opportunity to, um, maybe go a size up or something. Um, but it, the expansion was so painful and I, never had a desire for a large breast. So I, I didn't do much of that. Um, so then I had the surgery to take out the expanders and place the implants, which was my final surgery. They stitched me up again and, uh, healing from that. I'm still out of work. I'm still, um, I don't even remember what I did with my time back then, aside from heal, um, and semi-parent and like go through the paces of life, but I don't feel like I was very present. And then when I healed from that is when I started radiation and I had 28 rounds of radiation. And again, compared to chemotherapy, which was just a beast, uh, I did pretty well with radiation. My skin burned a little bit. Um, it's a daily treatment. Um, but I got through that. And, um, then I, the final real step for me was even after chemo, I continued getting infusions every three weeks of, um, drugs that were targeted to my type of cancer, HER2 positive. Uh, they're not chemo drugs, so they don't have side effects, but I had to receive those drugs for an entire year. So like start to finish, it was like a year. And so that was the final thing that I completed. And then, um, I rang the bell for a third time and, uh, And then you're done. And I was done and I was, I was healthy. My hair had grown in and I, um, was getting used to my new body and, um, I had gone back to work. And so I was sort of starting on this, on my, I hate this phrase, new normal, but, uh, but it was a new normal because I was different and, Everybody knew that I'd been through something. You know, it's it was pretty public by then. And um so yeah, I returned to my job, but it was a job that I didn't love. And uh they had been very supportive of me when I was sick, which was great, but it was an accounting job and and no business with numbers. Not a good idea. <laughs> so yeah, I uh I was just having checkups then at that point, like every Often in the beginning, it was quite often. And then they slowly spread out to like every couple months, just
1: monitoring me. And how long ago was kind of the, the, the third ring of the bell?
0: (laughs) The grand finale. Um, that was, oh my God, it's like, it's so hard for me with time because like my time with cancer sort of was one thing. And then COVID now I feel like I for like, there's like this, yeah. Time where I'm like I'm like oh I saw you last year and then I'm like oh no I didn't I didn't leave my home for the last year and a half um so I finished my Herceptin treatment which was the final final in I think May of 2018 okay yeah <sighs> I know it's a lot no it's- I feel like I'm a lot. I feel like I'm a heavy.
1: You're not. No you're not. <laughs> I'm I'm just I am just th- I'm just so I'm really thankful that you are you're so like open and willing to share your story and so I'm really like grateful for that. Um and I'm just like I remember when it was, I remember when you texted us that you had found a lump and it, it, yeah, your first reaction is kind of, Oh, it's probably not, you know, and then it was, right. then it was cancer, you know, and you're just, you couldn't believe it. It's like, that, that doesn't happen. Like you're too, you're too young. Like that just, it doesn't happen. And yeah. just, you know, that just going through and it is, it's so um, it's interesting when you were saying like, as someone who's observing you going through this like horrific or, you know, this like, to, to me, it was like, you are heroic. You are like, and like, but it's in, so it's interesting that when you were saying, you know, everyone, cause that's, it, it's like, that feels so genuine. Like, it feels like the fact that you can go through the, this type of diagnosis and go through the treatment and, and still like function. And, um, it, it feels like, you know, incredible. And, and you're right. It, it almost is like, maybe we should have that sense for people going through maybe other types of things that maybe, maybe are mental or or not physical or maybe a little more hidden or, but I just, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it feels unfair. It feels like, why did this happen to you? Why? Like, there's no sense. There's no sense, rhyme or reason at all, but it, it, you know, watching you go through that journey and, and, and we can get into it more, but it does feel like you were able to, you know, that you were able to take this really horrible thing and, and not turn it into a positive that kind of sounds, but that you were able to find some meaning out of it and maybe some purpose. And, you know, we can't always control what happens to us, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, and really crappy things that we that no one deserves, like you didn't deserve this at all, but that you're a, you know, we can't control what happens to us. But I guess the, the lesson or that, but that's extremely hard to do. Um, is like how, how do we find like some kind of meaning out of this, or some kind of purpose out of this, or something? So it's not totally like in vain. Or um, and I feel like you've done that, you know, like. In your life, and so I feel like um,
0: it's you know obviously we all know we're going to die, and it's not I like it's just interesting because that's undeniable. Even all, with all the differences that we have in the world, I, I haven't heard anybody yet it hasn't yet. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> that's a, how we're it's all. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Um, I do feel like that, you know when I thought that potentially I was dying, it's just, it was a slow change, but it's like a feeling that never hasn't left me as where, you know, it's an abstract thing for all of us, but it was very present. And so it's like, okay, you know, just sort of feeling like, am I on borrowed time right now? And how would I want to spend my days and who would I want to be with? And, you know, what is important to me? Like things that I never really thought about because I just, it felt like time was limitless. And and then I, not so much then because I just didn't feel good, but I I, I thought about a lot, like I didn't have good days. I, I didn't feel good for t- 24 hour stretches. So I'd, I'd have good good moments, good minutes maybe good, maybe a good hour, maybe a nice visit with somebody. Maybe I ate something that didn't turn my stomach, like just sort of, or in some days when I'd be really upset and I just felt like I can't get through this day. And, and, you know, my husband really helped me with that stuff. Like, and it's not about positive thinking, but sort of just like, it's just, you just keep going. And it sort of reminds me of marathon training when you just mm-hmm foot in front of the other until you're done and I mean that's how you do it like there's no other there's no other way to do it but sort of just this like acknowledging feeling awful acknowledging that it's not a permanent feeling Um, and I with my mental health I that's a check-in for me a lot now is that um which I have a great therapist but like one day I was having a really bad day with her and she's like you know can you be okay right now with not being okay and like accept that and sort of sit with that, and it's uncomfortable, and, but, but not see it as, it's not that your life is not okay, like, this moment is not okay, and, and so I, you know, now I, I have, like, um, I practice gratitude, but not, like, in a methodical way, it's just, I, I wake up, wow, I'm awake, like, I'm alive today, super, that's so great, you know, like, oh, and the sun is out. What the heck? Who knew? Like, that's so great. You know? And like, my daughter is smiling. Like, she's so cute. Like, she's the cutest thing I've ever seen, you know? And I live in this beautiful house and I want to eat avocado toast. Oh my God. Avocado toast. Like, like I feel almost like kind of like childlike wonder about things where, and I get really excited because things seem like I'm like oh my god like and with COVID too can I see live theater oh my gosh what a special moment I'm seeing something on stage right now that will never happen again you know or walking down the street and seeing a neighbor and having a friendly interaction oh my gosh how cool is that they're really nice people you know like just and then I you know but this is where I'm at now and after treatment I was kind of in a I didn't, I, it was like, I was so, I was glad to be alive, but I hadn't figured out what to do with myself. I had this like new sense of purpose, but was working in a job that didn't inspire me at all. And I wasn't, you know, that was, a, a kind of, it was a weird crossroads for me because it's like, oh my God, I'm, I have a second chance at life. And then I'm, but I'm back in the same life I was in that wasn't working. And, um, So I started looking for work and just started, um, I feel like I wasn't a bad employee, but I just was not, I mean, like me in accounting is just, bizarre. (laughs) I mean, I've had a lot of bizarre jobs as you know, as you have. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like my resume is so strange.
1: I don't even think it's helpful. It's eclectic. I like to say (laughs) that's what I used to call my resume. Oh, that's really actually good.
0: And and then when you throw in my degree, which has all these wonderful skills that are not necessary for anything I'll ever want to do, I just, you know, but so I, I started, I applied at a few nonprofits and, um, and one of them happened to be the cancer center where I was treated has a foundation that supports it, which I didn't know about you know, again, when I was there, I was just like, I hope I don't die. I love these nurses. This place feels like home. Oh my God. You know, like I, I was, you know, but, uh, so they had a job for like an administrative assistant sort of role and they called me in for an interview. And honestly, I don't even know why, cause my resume, whatever. I mean, there was a lot of stuff on there. So, and I did really good in my interview and I, I was so knowledgeable about the place. I didn't tell them I'd literally just finished treatment there a year ago. I had a very strange short hairdo that could have, you know, maybe given them a heads up that I was a cancer patient, but they might've just thought I had bad taste. And, um, they called me back for a second interview and, um, I got the job and I've been there now for over two and a half years. And, um, I, I, My initial, I I do a lot of things there because we're really small, but through some staffing changes there and whatnot, I'm I'm now in development and I write grants and I meet with patients. I write a newsletter. I, I, it's, it's like crazy. I love it.
1: (laughs) So amazing. It's so, it's so wild. So it's, it's awesome. I love it.
0: Like, yeah. i like, you know, when I talk about it, I'm like, I had a really, really bizarre path to finding a job that I love.
1: Yeah.
0: And I love being at that place because it's, our foundation is in the same building as the cancer center. So my doctors, my nurses, my social workers, like, you know, of course they're all my best friends now. Wow. Um, and I have a lot of doctor's appointments, so I'm just like walking across yeah, the, right. very convenient. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it's um, I kind of have to pinch myself because even with grant writing and I, I just can use my experiences to connect people with what we do. And, and we, we raise funds for our patients who are financially struggling during treatment, which I mean, it, that's so many people. And especially with COVID, like people have lost their jobs, people with compromised immunity can't work or they're homeschooling their kids. And so we, we help out with all sorts of things like medical bills and car payments, um, you know, sending a child to camp for the summer, um, post-mastectomy garden garments, like, you know, we've, we've paid for fertility preservation for young women who are hoping to have children after their treatment. Um, it's all sorts of things, but then we also have this integrative oncology and wellness center that we fund entirely. And it has all these amazing services available to our patients at no cost. Um, but it's massage, acupuncture, qigong, yoga, meditation, cooking for wellness classes that are you know gearing people towards plant-based eating. so it's just like this magical place, it's like a spa um and so it's um it's just such a nice fit for me, and then I realized I love to write, and I never you know it's sort of like running where I was like I never wanted to call myself a runner because I felt like I wasn't that good at it, but I mean if you run, you're a runner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: if you write, you're a writer, but I never would have called myself a writer because I felt like I didn't, wasn't good enough to do that. And, um, and now that's what I do. And I, you know, it's been just a really nice change for me since, well, as you know, obviously I had a musical theater, very short lived career. Some might know me from off, 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 off Broadway.
1: um, (laughs) mine was so off broadway it was in another state
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean we did live off of broadway in Queens.
1: we did that is true there you go (laughs) and we i'm sure we sang in our apartment (laughs) probably
0: um that you know our apartment should be a podcast episode (laughs) That is true
1: (laughs) um that's so you know
0: so And I mean, so many changes in the past couple of years, like, and you know, this, I got sober two years ago, which is, so that's big. I mean, so there's a lot of contributing factors, but I don't think that any of, any of the things that have happened, you know, me going to therapy, me getting sober, uh, you know, my, my, my marriage really struggled. Like I didn't acknowledge that having cancer, I had really, I had PTSD after that. Um, It took a huge toll on my marriage i had all these unresolved things in my life from um mental health perspective uh and and i you know i've been in therapy a lot in my life and i always lied like always like i always wanted to um look like i was doing good which is so silly you know cuz that's not why we go to therapy mm-hmm. we're doing great <laughs> But, um, you know, but I think like, again, being sick, it's like, bam, oh my God, you know, what if, what if I'm going to die right now? And this was my life, you know, and I lived so many years uncomfortable in my own skin with crippling anxiety. And, you know, when you talked about like feeling like you just needed more confidence to do things, I felt like that too, but it was more like, I just needed to actually be me. Mm -hmm. I, I was like, I don't know why I couldn't just embrace who I was, because when you do, like, now that I'm like, I feel like more true to who I am, I just feel okay in my skin. I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm not trying to shrink away from life, you know, and I spent so much time doing that. But I think that, again, feeling like, shoot, this might be it. Now I'm sort of like every day, like, no, I, I deserve this. I am intelligent. I am not um, a number on the scale. I don't even want to be a supermodel. You know, these things, like all these things that I, um, these pressures I put on myself, they've kind of like washed away as I've taken better care of my soul. I don't know. Yeah.
1: That's so well said, like taking care of your soul, you know, because for so long I, I totally, relate to that. It's, you know, it's worrying about how much do I weigh, you know, um, it's worrying about what does this person think about me? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do this? You know, um, kind of like external things and that ultimately really are unimportant or that, you know, don't. And I, yeah, it's like when you're, when you're confronted with this, like confronted really with their own mortality and with this life-threatening illness, it almost it like releases those, I would think, It releases those veils to be like, what, why do I even care about these things? Or why am I so worried about these other things? Like what, what really matters? Like to me, it would seem like it would strip away a lot of that and just leave like what really matters to me and what do I really want and, um, and how do I want to show up in the world? And yeah. And like, yeah, it's almost like, I, I, you know, you're getting, like you were saying, I, I, Like I'm worthy, you know, just me, like me, myself and I, as I am showing up is enough and I'm worthy. And I feel like, I mean, that to me is like our life's lesson kind of is being able to get to a place where we really believe that, that like, I'm enough. Like, I don't need to look a certain way. I don't need to have a certain thing. I don't need to be in a certain relationship. I don't need to do this. Like I'm enough, like as I am, and that I'm worthy just because I am born, you know, because I am here mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm a long way to go to kind of embody all of that, but I feel like that's such like, it almost seems like you were, you kind of got confronted with that, mm-hmm. like, or, you know, in this really kind of traumatic way, but that it's, you know, that you were able again to kind of take this kind of this really traumatic experience and, and come out of it with some of those, you know.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting because obviously it's been years now, you know, but I, I do feel like I'm, it's changed me in a way where I just feel like I'm constantly learning and evolving and growing and accepting when I'm wrong and making mistakes, making big mistakes, making, you know, but not apologizing for them, but learning from them, um, I, but apologizing if I'm wrong or if I hurt someone or if I think I know something and I learn better, you know, like, and I don't know, just in the world, I feel like I've been confronted with a lot of this. Um, And it's, it's just, you, you know, it's, it's a nicer way to live. And I've never, I look back on me. 20 years ago. And I just, you know, I wish I could just hug her, tell mm-hmm. her things, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, but I, I, I had to go through all of these things to get there and it's, and, and it's such a messy path, you know? But, um, you know but i and i and i don't believe like everything happens for a reason either you know i, I think that everything happens
1: exactly yeah exactly <laughs> everything happens so on that um but i i do believe that
0: there is something to be taken from everything you know and there are lessons and i know a lot of people who have gone through what i've gone through and so i can observe their lives as well as they go through horrible things with this disease. And although I know that I am very blessed and that my struggle is different than other people's, I, I do feel like your mindset does play a role and, you know, and and it's not just with cancer, but with anybody going through anything in life, you know, if you're on Facebook, just complaining all the time or, or, um, like for me, you know, I, I just, I think that it was helpful to even, even to try to be outwardly positive, even when inwardly or inside, I was like disaster. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe Mm -hmm. outside in. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Kind of going back to something you said before, why, why do you think it is that, you know, when someone has a physical illness like cancer, and thankfully it does. I mean, people are so supportive, and will do meals, and will do. I mean, and it's really. I mean, I think it's amazing how that that can happen. And you felt, and I'm, you know, you felt so supported. And it does, you know. Why I'm curious, what you think about why something like a mental illness um, mm-hmm. doesn't always results in that type of response? You know, is it because maybe people sometimes mental illness, you can't see it, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of stigma about mental illness, maybe slowly that's changing, but yeah. Do you have, what are your thoughts on that? Like what, cause I know you've, you know, you've experienced mental illness and then you've experienced like a very, um, serious physical illness. And so I'm curious what you think about that.
0: Yeah. I think about this a lot and it kind of gets me worked up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I mean, you know this about me that I struggled with eating disorders for a very long time. And, um, I can remember times cause my eating disorders that started when I was like 17 and really, Uh, probably up until I was pregnant with Francis, I was, I still had, was having problems. So that was almost 15 years. Mm -hmm. And that was completely consuming of my life. So I was living and I was doing things and I had jobs and I had friendships and I had family, but my mind was so sad you know, I was so worked up in this world and, you know, I was anorexic and then I was bulimic and, you know, and, and, and I, and I have a lot of feelings about those two illnesses too, because anorexic people notice because you're very underweight, um, you know, and I was, and which was a dream because that's, you're succeeding at anorexia, which is horrible, you know? Um, and bulimia is kind of the other end of the spectrum. And I was really embarrassed about being bulimic. In fact, until this therapist, it was again something I, I lied about because it is embarrassing. Binge eating is embarrassing and making yourself throw up is embarrassing. Um, but I think that's part of the problem is yeah. that, you know, and, and when I was bulimic, I wasn't underweight, um, which is often the case. So, um, but I I can remember thinking, during that time, because I had some really dark times with my eating disorders that it it would be easier if I just had cancer. And after having cancer, I stand by that statement. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lonely place and it's not because I didn't have good friends, but you know, and, and part of it is, I think it's part of it is was on me that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I could seek the help that I needed, and I didn't want to open up about what was really going on. But part of it is that it's you know I mean with cancer you get diagnosed and you are told exactly what to do, Mm -hmm. this treatment plan is put in place. I mean and even then even with these integrative oncology programs they're like to complement that we want to work on your mindfulness and we want to help you with your nutrition and like. Your life literally stops and you deal with your cancer, but mental health, it's like, you just have to keep going. I mean, I couldn't have gone out on disability for a year with an eating disorder. And I thought about at times, like, oh, man, I just wish I went to some sort of rehab for eating disorders. Like maybe that would have helped, but, um, you know, it's just lonely and dark. And I I think it's the stigma. Um, I think that, I think that unless you've, (sighs) sort of like with cancer that I never really understood exactly what cancer was. I just thought cancer, bad, might die, bald people, sadness, you know, very basic. Um, So now I have a greater understanding of what that entails being in treatment and stuff. But I feel like with mental health, um, if you don't come from a family that's open about their mental health or, um, and my family is, which is is fortunate in a lot of ways. But a lot of people still think, toughen up, you know? Um, they don't think it's real. Mm-hmm. No, um, it's a phase. It's, I mean, but our brains, yeah. I mean, our brains are wired in certain ways. And I mean, I would never wish those disorders on myself. I never wanted crippling anxiety, I never wanted to be depressed and not want to get out of bed but it's it's a real thing and you know but i i see it where people are like well they just need to get up and you start living mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't do it you're stuck so i don't know like i think about you know how i how i was viewed as being courageous and brave when i had cancer and i'm like you know i was really brave in my 20s like yeah. going to work i i never lost my job i I had really ridiculous relationships at times, but, <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't valuing myself and my body for sure. Um, and you know, but I, I, still made great friends. I, I just struggled a lot more than I wish I had. You know, it was like, I've lived in Rochester now for 13 years and it feels like it's flown by New York. I was there for six years and that, that felt like Mm -hmm. it was, it was hard, you know, I mean, you know, you were there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah. And there, and and I think, you know, when I look at you, I see a lot of that too, where we have been on these interesting paths to where we are now. I don't think either of us are living at all the lives that we expected or even potentially wanted, but they're really good lives. Exactly. It's Yeah, I mean, so different than yeah. I couldn't have predicted this at all. And, no, but if I didn't go through all the things, I mean, if I was healthy and not a disaster when I moved to New York, I probably would have been successful potentially in theater, you know. But then I wouldn't have moved to Rochester, and I wouldn't have met Mike, and I wouldn't have had Francis, and you know, and and the road that I was going down in New York, um, an unhealthy twenty-two-year-old is not really fit to move to New York city. Yeah, right. you know? <laughs> I mean, if you have any issues before you move to New York city, they might get worse.
1: Yeah. Yeah. New York might not solve them. <laughs> they might, it might not, but I mean, I have great memories. And the oh, yeah.
0: thing too, is I used to feel like I used to regret things and I used to be embarrassed about things and I used to be sad about things. And I, I really don't feel that way anymore.
1: Yeah. Cause it led you where you are now. Right. All those things taught you something or, you know, led you to where you're supposed to be.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, and I have to say, but I don't want to get emotional. So I'm not going to look at you while I'm talking. Although I will acknowledge for the listeners that I wish they could see me because I have my haircut today.
1: Oh my gosh. You look radiant. (laughs) Thank you. Um, but,
0: you know, you came to visit me when I was sick and I was trying to remember when that was because I knew I think it might have been before radiation or during radiation. I know I was still wearing a wig because I wore it out the one night.
1: Say, yeah, I'm trying to think of what I know. I'm the same with time. I, I, I feel like it was I want to say it was November, like the fall. Yes. Yeah, it was cold. It wasn't snowing, but it was right. For some reason, I want to say it was like fall-ish.
0: It was within the last 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) It happened. You know who will tell me? Who will tell you?
1: Facebook. Facebook.
0: Yeah, that's right. Facebook tells me everything. (laughs) Like I'll be like, oh my God, today's the day that I finished chemo four years ago, which I didn't know, but Facebook. Facebook tells you. Thank God for Facebook. Um but no, that was, you know, that was so special. We had so much fun.
1: Well, I mean, of course. Like I was just like, you know, if I was able to do it, I was gonna do it, you know. And yeah, I remember we sat like out in your backyard, like by like your you had like a fire bonfire.
0: And we had Manhattan's
1: by the fire. And we had Manhattan. So this was before you um were sober. We're sober. Yeah. And I mean, we just went out. Like it was just, we was very chill, and we just. And you, you want one of my winter I, coats. I, I did. That's, did I not have one? I don't know why I didn't bring one, but I do remember that. I have a, I have you the same picture of us on my night on my dresser um, oh, from that time. You're so yeah. Cute. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just. <gasps> Wait, didn't we get a tarot card reading? Yes. <laughs> I, that's so true. Yes. <laughs> and I. Don't remember anything she said. Well, wow, we were drunk. We did. <laughs> but I- I'm always <laughs> drunk for them. <laughs> I think uh, she said,
0: I think she knew I was going through something, which felt really profound, but you could say that <laughs> to anybody.
1: <laughs> no, I remember but- it being good. And it's funny that I don't, this is, I have like not the best long-term <laughs> memory and I don't remember what she said, but at the time it felt very profound.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. But that was
1: such a special time. Like I was just so happy to see you. And I mean, my, 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 like one thing I want to change is I wish we didn't live across the country from each other. it's like, I I wish we lived closer. Um, I don't like that. Any chance I can to get to you. It's been too long, but I wanted just kind of last question was kind of, is there something that you're working on now or dealing with now that kind of is requiring courage or who's bringing up some vulnerability or, or is it just your process? I mean, God, you've already, I feel like you're already just being, you know, being, staying sober is, I mean, that requires, in my opinion, a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability and, and all of that. So maybe just being, you know?
0: Yeah. I, it's, it's like, it's kind of hard for me to put a, um, to pinpoint like I've had so many changes in the last couple of mm-hmm. years. And so um, and I think a lot of that has to do with sobriety because it, it's that a lot of like my wide eyed wonder, I think has to do with that,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: the, I'd say my like biggest challenge is um, existing without any mechanism for numbing. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, for me for a long time, that was food which I used in various ways to um, cope with things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, alcohol was a way for me to, you know, happy. Why not have a drink? Sad, have a drink, you know, Mm -hmm. can't sleep, have a drink. Um, Uncomfortable in a situation, have a drink, you know, going to a wedding, going to be all these people have a drink, then I can be social. So learning how to navigate my life without that, um, has been interesting and recognizing things that I like and don't like for real, you know, yeah. like when you, when you remove alcohol from the equation, it's like, oh, you know, would, would you want to be in I don't know, a bowling league or, you know, like, were there things that you only did, I, I, <laughs> but like, are there things that were only enjoyable when you add alcohol mm-hmm. and are there people that you only spent time with because they drank yeah. and I'm far more introverted than I thought I was, I consider myself like a introvert who appears extroverted. Yeah. Um, I don't like to stay up late. Apparently that was just, if I was drinking, like I like, and I, you know, I still like to sleep in, but I, you know, never waking up with a hangover is incredible, you know? So I, it's like, I'm so grateful for each day. And I don't, you know, I'm not like a, I'm not like a big 12 stepper, I'm not knocking it, but I I'm not, um, everybody's journey is different. And a lot of what I follow, I, I have read some, um, books by sober women and I follow a lot of sober women on Instagram and it's just, uh, I feel like just choosing to be sober in the world we live in is a super bold choice. That takes a lot of courage and there's, you know, And I think, you know, it's the only drug that we have to tell people why we're not doing it. It, It's, it's horrible for you. I mean, it causes more types of cancer than smoking. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not drinking, you best be pregnant or, you know, I mean, I mean, literally, (laughs) you know, and it's, you know, and it it makes me sad sometimes though, because, you know, and a lot of people just have a drink here and there. And I, I don't have any problem with that at all, but like It's especially the way it's marketed at women as like this mommy coping mechanism and the back to school and the mommy's drinking or, you know, people I see like posting, like drinking champagne out of the bottle on the first day of school when their kids leave. I mean, it's kind of funny, but there's a lot of really sick people and it's so accepted that you can exist like that for a long time. You can exist like that forever and nobody's going to question you, you know, Mm -hmm. um, nobody told me I had to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. I told myself that. You know, so navigating life like for real is sometimes hard. Yeah. But finding a therapist is finding a therapist that I relate to and who understands me. And, you know, so like sitting in this world, yeah. not escaping in any way. And sometimes I get crazy and take a Benadryl and like that. <laughs> And, uh, and occasionally I'll take a melatonin, but, um, but yeah, so that's, it's, it is, it's not easy. No. I mean, And I've got an easy life compared to so many people. I, I'm like so blessed, so much privilege, but, um, it's hard.
1: It's hard. It's, it takes a lot of courage, I think, to whatever you're kind of you know, quote unquote drug of choices, whether that's alcohol or drugs or food or um, busyness or social media, exercise, exercise, Mm -hmm. like whatever, you know, fill in the blank, like to be willing to be aware of that and like release some of that and, and have to just sometimes sit in the discomfort and the pain and the, and the sadness, like what your therapist was saying, I think is really powerful. Like, can you just accept that this is how I feel right now, even though it doesn't feel good. And um, just, you know, that it's, that it's for this moment, can I accept that I'm feeling this way and that this is happening and not try and stuff it down or or make, you know, numb it out or whatever, or drink it away, you know, all of those <laughs> things. Um, I mean, that's like, to me, that is the epitome of, of courage is being willing to do that. And like one thing I'm really trying to figure out, you know, is like how how do you like find joy within that? Like, how do you still have joy and gratitude and all of those things, even when life is really hard? And or even and and it could be like you said, not even if like things are necessarily happening in your life, but that you see what else is in happening in the world or you you're struggling with. mental illness where, you know, you just feel bad and you don't know why or whatever, but like finding joy and not trying to numb out. Yeah.
0: Yes. that The not numbing out is, I mean, but I do feel like I'm at a point now where it's really interesting where I can experience feelings about things like maybe about a coworker or a family member or something, you know, relationship and feel so strongly and just I think the old me was more reactive, but now I can sit with those feelings and then be pleasantly surprised when they just kind of go away. Like, I feel like acknowledging feelings and, or talking to somebody about them kind of releases it. And then I don't have to feel like it's the, the anger is so, um, it just doesn't do anything. You know, It's, it's a pit and, and I, and somehow through living more authentically and not pushing it down and numbing out with outside sources. Um, I am, it's like a slower process, but it actually frees those whatever they are in my life from bogging me down and from making me scared or, you know, angry. Like it, it, feel like it takes away a lot of the negative emotions that I feel initially by not trying to avoid them or yeah. push them, push oh, them you or know.
1: resist them. It's an, yeah.
0: So it's sort of like something that I've been noticing over the last year that, um, cause I'm fiery. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I'm a lot like, um, <laughs> And I think usually in a positive way and I am very, but, and also I've been able to channel that more into like, I mean, I'm going to say hello to everybody I see and good morning. And I love your skirt. You know, you have a nice smile, although I can't see your face because I can't see anybody's at work, but like, you know, connecting with people and making like little connections. It like, I feed off of it, you know, it's just because that's, you know, it's like, that's why we're here, you know, making connections, yeah. and, um, and, and I find so much joy in them, you know, like you might have a lovely conversation with somebody that you just happen to pass by and you might make their day, you know, they might be having like a crappy day and you just acknowledge them. And I think we were just so like, you know, living in our own path, doing our own thing that we're not always aware of, all the things around. It's not just the people, the nature, our environment, our, our world. And then when we open that up a little bit, it's really joyful. So I, I you know, it's like finding that joy, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like, it's there, there's so yeah. much, you yeah. know, and it's, it's, yeah, I think a lot of it is just allowing it in and then it's contagious.
1: Thank you so much to Annie for this incredible conversation. I'm still, I'm still processing and sitting with so many of the lessons and the things that we talked about in this conversation. And I really could have talked with Annie for hours more. She was three hours ahead of me on the East Coast and at some point we had to stop so she could put her daughter to bed. But otherwise I could have just kept talking with Annie. I just, I loved this conversation and I'm so grateful to Annie for her honesty and openness and vulnerability and generosity and for sharing her story with us. And as always, would love to hear from you, your feedback and what you've learned from this conversation and how you may incorporate what you've learned into your own life. And until next time, thank you so much for joining me in Learning Courage.